0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We'll be in Genesis 44 uh, this morning, and you can go ahead and stand if you found it. We're back in Genesis today, and you know, the hard part about about uh, going through this narrative about Joseph. I mean, it's the longest narrative about one person um, in, in the Old Testament, I, uh, at least in, in the book of Genesis. And, and it goes chapter after chapter, so you feel like you've got to review every week. And some of you have heard this story. You could rehearse the story of Joseph, and I understand that. Uh, but you also, uh, in, when you're preaching, you also have to give context every week. And so let me just remind you of a few things, and we'll do some more review in a minute Joseph's brothers have come back for food. They've come back the second time to Egypt to get food. There's a major famine in the land and uh, Joseph's brothers are back the second time to get food. This time they brought Benjamin. And in chapter 43, where we were last time, Joseph throws them a big feast. He has them to his house for lunch and then he gives Benjamin, you remember how much he gave Benjamin compared to everybody else? What was it? It was five times as much food ...for the youngest brother than the other brothers. And when brothers... ...when that kind of stuff happens in most um, situations... ...those are fighting terms, okay? But in this situation... ...that's what Joseph was counting on. He was putting them in a position... ...where he could see how they would respond... ...to the favorite. It's been 22 years since he was the favorite. And they threw him in a pit... ...and they sold him as a slave... And so he's trying to test them. They don't know he's their brother. He looks like an Egyptian to them, and they speak Hebrew. They don't even know he can understand them, Understand them, but he hears every word. He knows what they're thinking and what they're saying, and he's trying to see if there's a sense of jealousy in their brothers. And yet at the end of chapter 43, it says they eat happily. They're okay with the fact that the brother, the favorite, is being treated better than them. And that's where we start in verse 1. It says, and this is his final test. That's what, that's what my, my, my chapter title says. Um, and I don't know if yours has that as well, but Joseph gives them one more test to see one more time where they are. Look at verse one. And he commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. That's the second time he's done that. Give all their money back to them so they don't pay a penny for all the food they're taking. Verse 2, and put my cup, this is where he ups the ante. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as, as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, up, follow after the men. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. Now, just so that we understand, um, in ancient customs, especially in, in the pagan religions, they would have considered a cup sacred. The, there were cups that they would have considered as something that, that someone could divine or, or, or see the future through. And so we know it's a superstition, and you say, well, why would Joseph have a cup that he divines with? Well, don't forget, Joseph is playing a part, he's playing the part of Egyptian prime minister. He doesn't want them to think that he's Joseph, their brother. He's an Egyptian. In their minds, he wants to be an Egyptian so that they'll have, so he can really get an accurate reading of his brother. So just so you understand what that means, verse 6, it says, And he overtook them, the steward, and he spake unto them these same words. And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sack's mouth the first time we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of thy Lord's house silver or gold with whomsoever? And I love their their pride, their self-righteousness with whomsoever of thy servants it be found. Both let him die and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. And he said, now also let it be according unto your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant and ye shall be blameless. Don't go too far, he says. Only the one with whom the cup is found. Then they speedily took down every man. They really want him to see how innocent they are. They speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they, as older brothers, begin to punch their younger brother for his foolishness. I mean, that may have happened in a normal setting, right? What are you thinking? Well, I think their response starts to reveal what Joseph is getting to. There's change. The Bible says they rent their clothes and laid at every man his ass and returned to the city. They don't go the opposite direction. They go back to Egypt with Benjamin. And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done, and what what ye not, that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak, or how shall we clear ourselves? And this phrase is so key, God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he, Joseph, said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. And as for you, get you up in peace unto your father. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to read this and think these guys have changed. I mean, not hard for me to read it. And think these guys have changed It's clear to me that something Is different And listen when you have a bad track record It's hard for people to trust you And you might say it's not fair You know they should trust me Well when you haven't earned it You know, you've got to do something to prove it. And that's what Joseph is dealing with. Can he trust his brothers? Before he does, he wants to see proof of change. And he gets his wish in chapter 44. And I'd like to look at this today. Repentance leaves evidence. When there's true repentance, there will be fruit. And I want you to understand and see this today. When, When you've truly repented... It's going to be clear to those around you. It won't just be your words. It won't just be an I'm sorry. It will be a look at the fruit in my life. That's what Joseph's getting to. God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated and uh, we'll get into it this morning. If you're a parent, then you've been in this scenario before, okay? Uh, two, Two children in the bedroom and let's just say that you're you're the mom and you're in the, in the uh, maybe you're in the kitchen, you're cleaning up after lunch and your children are in their bedroom. And as long as you hear some noise, things are okay. But then suddenly, silence. And you know, if you're a parent, that when it goes from noise to silence, something bad is happening. And so you wait And you stop the water, and you're thinking, what's happening next? And suddenly, exactly what you thought would happen, happens. And a cry, a scream of agony comes out of the bedroom. So you, I mean, you don't run to the bedroom at this point, because this has happened before. You walk with, I mean, determinedly, you walk to the bedroom, and you open the door, and you look at child number one and child number two, and child number two has a mark on their face. And child number one has a toy in their hand, the same exact shape as the mark on the face of child number two. And you put two and two together really quickly, but you know, children are more complicated than that. And so you start to ask questions, and child number two says, He hit me. And child number one says, no, I didn't. And so you can read the room. You know what's happening. And you you know what happened. You, child number one uh, hit child number two. Because child number two, you know, so child number one took the toy. Child number two maybe hit child number one first. Child number one returned the favor with the toy. I mean, you know how it goes. And so... You take off your dishwashing hat, ladies, and you put on your judge-jury-executioner hat. And now it's time to, to take, the, take this through the due process. And, and so you set up the stuffed animals as a jury and all of that, you know. The, no, no, you, 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 you understand what's happened. Uh, You talk to child one, you talk to child two. You you realize both of them share blame in this interaction. And so you deal with both children as you should in a biblical manner, not in anger, uh, but making sure they understand what they've done wrong and they feel the consequence of what they've done. By the way, there's a healthy way to to discipline children. It's in the Bible. And, and, And spanking is allowed in the Bible. There's a rod of correction, but not ever to the point that it gets to abuse. Okay? And it's okay uh, to take your children. It's not always maybe that that has to be done. Um, but, but you take it through the due process and you talk to your children. And, but what's one of the things along the way every time that if you're doing it the right way that you have your children do with each other? What do you say? You apologize? Or you say something like this, child number one, because you don't use their names. I mean, this is a formal setting. Child number one. Um, say you're sorry and ask forgiveness. So child number one, here's how it goes, right? Child number one says, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And child number two says, I forgive you. I'm sorry too, right? I mean, you've seen this before. And you know, when that happens, uh, there's parents looking at children right now, okay? And you know, what happens in those situations is you know there's not repentance. So you know in the next 30 minutes or so, you'll probably be right back in the room dealing with the same issue. Why? Because there wasn't true sorrow. Because there wasn't true repentance. Because there was no, I'm sorry. Can, can, is it true that I'm sorry? Can just be empty words? Absolutely. I had a friend in Bible college and he was one of those guys that was really fun to be around when he was in a good mood and yet he often wasn't in a good mood and he would lash out and do things um, that, that you know, weren't very nice or kind. And I'm telling you, the guy was the best apologizer I've ever been around. He always found himself saying, I'm sorry, but after a while, what do you start to do with somebody like that? Well, you say, okay, I forgive you But what do you expect to happen again very soon? You expect them to be back apologizing again because the words that they used didn't reveal any heart change. They're simply saying, I'm sorry, because they wanna make things right in the moment. And listen, we can be that way. We can be that way with each other. We can be that way with God. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been to an altar and I'm saying sorry about the same thing. And yet the next service, I think I've got to be right back again because there wasn't true, genuine sorrow. There wasn't true, genuine repentance. It was lip service and not life change. But listen, genuine repentance has fruit as evidence. If you're honestly repentant of your sin, it's going to show up in the way that you live your life. It'll be more than words for you. And that's what Joseph, and we're going to look at that and apply that, but I want to get there through the story here. That's what Joseph is trying to get his brothers to see. He is looking for fruit in their lives. And see, there's a terrible famine that has impacted this whole part of the world. And and the only place with food was Egypt. And we know that God had elevated Joseph to the point, to that position. Remember, he, he could interpret dreams. And because he could interpret dreams, the Pharaoh had dreams about seven cows being eaten by seven uh, unhealthy cows and seven healthy ears of corn being eaten by seven poor ears of corn. And, and Joseph said what's going to happen is there will be seven years of, of abundance followed by seven years of famine. And and so Pharaoh says, well, that sounds like a good interpretation to me. So he has Joseph elevated and he says, he brings him out of prison and he says, you're the guy for the job. I want you to spend this next seven years, uh, storing up all the food that you can so that when the seven years of famine come, we have enough food and Joseph must've did a bang up job because not only did they have enough food for Egypt, they had enough food for all the nations of the earth. I mean people are coming from far and wide because Egypt has food and nobody else does. So here's Joseph, second in command. He was a Hebrew slave and a Hebrew prisoner and now he's been elevated to prime minister in the nation of Egypt. And un I mean unsuspecting, he probably wasn't thinking about this happening at all. One day though, guess who comes? His brothers. Joseph's brothers come and they are asking for food. And this Joseph had been estranged from them at this point for over 20 years, probably about 22 years now. The last time he saw his brothers, he was 17 years old. He was the favorite. Jacob had given him a coat of many colors. And Joseph had dreams that his brothers would bow down to him. And, and, he, and he told them the dream. I'm not sure how wise that was because they didn't like hearing that someday they're going to bow down to their little brother. So they, they hate him. They're jealous of him. And his 10 older brothers one day out in the field throw him into a pit. They talk about killing him. But instead of killing him, they sell him to some Ishmaelites as a slave. It's human trafficking. 20 pieces of silvers, uh, silver. That's two pieces each. And then they go about their way. J- Joseph is taken into Egypt, into Potiphar's house, then the prison. And then he ends up second in command. So now, though, imagine it. Joseph, second in command, his brothers walk in the room, they don't recognize him, he knows exactly though who they are, and understand, Joseph was sold into slavery, but before we think that life was easy for his brothers, they'd spent 22 years in bondage to their own guilty consciences. 22 years, I mean, you've been there. You ever done something and you know it was wrong and you, know, you don't want anybody to find out about it and, so, and it plagues you. You can't sleep at night. It gives you an ulcer. 22 years, imagine selling your brother as a slave. And we know that it plagues them because the first time they come to get food, Joseph can understand what they're saying. And he gives them a hard time. He calls them spies. He throws them into the prison and he hears them talking. And they're saying, you know why we're here. You know why we're having trouble. It's because of what we did to our brother. This is God getting us back. This is God judging us for what we've done to him. And so Joseph then wants to see how much they've changed. So we test them. He keeps one brother, Simeon, in prison and he tells the others to go home and tells them they can't come back without Benjamin. That's their youngest brother. Benjamin is the mother of or the son of Rachel who is Joseph's mother. So there are only two brothers by Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. And Joseph wants to see his younger brother. His younger brother had was young and he had nothing to do with Joseph being sold last time. He wants to see him. He tells him, listen, go home and when you need more food, don't even bother coming back. Back unless you bring your brother Benjamin. So they so he restores the money in their sacks, so it costs them nothing. And I think he did it to help them. But listen, when they get home or on their way home and they find the money in their sacks, they're not thinking, oh, what a blessing. No, what they're thinking is, we can't go back now. Joseph or this guy, this prime minister, he thinks we're thieves. I mean, what, what Joseph does to be a blessing when you have a guilty conscience and somebody does something to be a blessing to you, you know what you can do? You can rewire that and interpret that to be something that's going to hurt you when really it should be something you see as a blessing. Right. A guilty conscience colors everything that we do. So they go home with the money returned in their, st- in their sacks. They tell Jacob, this guy was mean to us. He said, don't come back without Benjamin. And jo- Jacob says, now that's a hard pass. I'm not sending you back. I've already lost Joseph. Simeon's in prison. I will not lose Benjamin too. But listen, you can say that all you want, but after a few months, you get hungry again. The food runs out. They've got to go back. So Judah, he says, I'll be responsible, dad. I'll be responsible for Benjamin. If something happens to him, I will bear the blame. And you know, it's amazing in this story. Judah's transformation is absolutely amazing. He goes from a selfish man in chapter 38, marrying a Canaanite woman, which was against God's law, and then finally going into somebody he thought was a prostitute that ended up being his daughter-in-law that was tricking him because he hadn't kept his word to her. And it's just a whole mess. That was Judah a few chapters before. Well, 22 years later, something has changed in Judah. Judah looks at his dad and he says, Send Benjamin with me. Dad, I'll be surety for him. I will put my life down as a down payment. And listen, if B- Benjamin doesn't come back, then I will bear the blame forever. And listen, Judah's not done doing right. I mean, this whole chapter is incredible to see the transformation. So Jacob says, okay, that's good enough for me. He sends his sons back to Egypt uh, to get more food and they meet Joseph Steward. And Joseph Stewart says, uh, jo- uh, the prime minister would like to, can you imagine the steward being, hey guys, well, Joseph, I mean, the prime minister wants to eat lunch with you today. Well, that would be a bad way to let it slip, okay? I, like I just did. The prime minister wants to eat lunch with you today. And again, <laughs> guilty consciences, what should be exciting. That we get to eat lunch with the prime minister? That's awesome. No, they've got guilty consciences. And you know what they're saying? Oh, I mean, he just knows that we took the money. He's, we're going to answer for this. They're so used to the guilty conscience. I mean, it plagues everything that they do. So they go in and Joseph looks at them and, and he sets them in order. From oldest to youngest? I mean, that would have been hard to do. I mean, it would have been almost impossible. I mean, if you've got kids, sometimes you can't remember your own kids' names. I mean, now 22 years later, though, he's putting them in order from oldest to youngest. And when he looks at Benjamin, he says, God, be gracious to you, my son. Here's an Egyptian talking about their God and being kind and gracious. And before, I don't want to miss these moments, before we realize it, or before we we miss it, God, uh, this is a picture of God in this story. And I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what you've done. God is gracious, and he wants you to be part of the family, and he wants to feed you, and he wants you to have an abundant life, and he'll do whatever it takes to get you to that point. Very often, we're the reasons we're not eating well. So the brothers are set in order, and he gives Benjamin five times as much. He can't even handle it. He has to leave the room because of his emotion. He comes back in, and he sets before them a feast. It's like pizza ranch in Egypt. <laughs> it's it's kebab ranch. Y'all don't know kebabs. Okay, well, it's something like that. It's a good idea for a restaurant, Brother Chad. We need to talk about this. Benjamin gets five times as much, and Joseph does it on purpose, I believe, to see the response of the brothers. You know what he's trying to get to? He wants to see their response to how a fav- when the favorite gets treated better. Because remember what happened 22 years ago? When the favorite got treated better, what did they do? They threw him in a pit they sold him as a slave. And so Joseph gets five times as much to Benjamin, who's the favorite of Jacob. And he's watching the brothers to see how they're responding. And you know what the end of chapter 43 says? It says they couldn't care less. Not really. I mean, my words. They're eating and they're drinking and they're merry. It's okay with them. And Joseph knows something is different. He's already seeing a change in their spirit. And yet it's not quite enough just yet. He wants to give them one more test. I mean, it's one thing to see your little brother get more food than you. But what happens when they're really tested? And that's where we come to chapter 44 because Joseph comes up with a plan. And the first thing he does is he tells his steward, okay, I want you to put all their money back in their sacks, put all the food in their sacks as well. But I want you to find the, 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 the animal of the youngest, Benjamin, and I want you to take this cup, my silver cup, this special divining cup, okay? I want you to take my cup. And I want you to put it in the youngest pack. I want you to stick it in there. And then look at verse 2. Look what he says to do. And put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Put my personal drinking cup. I can imagine that the cup that, that he had him put in that bag was the one that he drank out of lunch that day with. They knew it was Joseph's cup. It was I wouldn't be surprised if while he's drinking out of that cup, the brothers are like, "Man, look at that silver cup." They're taking note of it. I mean, not to steal it just because it's probably worth more than all the money they have with them. And so, take this cup, put it in the sack's mouth, and then let them go away. And the next morning they get up to leave and look at verse 4, and when they were gone out of the city and yet not far off, Joseph said unto his steward, "Up, Follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it, in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing evil you've done evil and he overtook them and he spake unto them these same words he catches up with them and he says why would you reward evil for good I mean your master the prime minister has been nothing but good to you he's done all of these things for you and why would you repay him like this now I can imagine that the brothers hearts fell I mean they're accused this is a major crime I mean this is stealing from the prime minister's house And they say, God forbid that we've done anything wrong. We didn't do anything like this. I mean, listen, we brought the money last time. We brought it back to you. We're honest men. That's ironic. And in a moment of self-righteousness, they're so sure that they're innocent. They say in verse 9, basically, whoever has the cup, let him die. And the rest of us will be your slaves forever. That's how sure they are. They make this big vow. They say, listen, put him to death. We'll be your slaves. That's how sure we are. And the steward says, "Now, don't go too far. Now, listen, that's not how it works. Whoever has the cup, they can be the slave. The rest of you can go home. You're off the hook. Verse 11, they're, they're so sure that they're innocent. I'm just trying to give you an overview. They speedily take down their stuff and open it up. They're so quick to proclaim their self-righteousness. And we are too, aren't we? Verse, Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Most men will proclaim their own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. We're really quick to, to, to talk about ourselves. We're really quick to let people see how good we are and how, good, good, how, how together we are and how, how we've got our ducks in a row and, and we've got righteousness and things are good. We want to project this image of self-righteousness, but the Bible says none are righteous. All have come short of the glory of God. So the steward says, okay, I'm going to look through all your packs. And he goes from oldest to youngest. I mean, Reuben and Simeon and Levi and and Judah and Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher, uh, uh, Asher and Issachar and Zebulun. All the way down. He finally gets to Benjamin. And guess what happens? There's a cup. The silver cup. You think, man, this is no good. His brothers are thinking, "What happened? What are you doing?" And I mean, Joseph is doing this in this moment right here. He's trying to get them to this point. You say, "Why would he do that?" Well, understand, he's putting them in a position where they'll have to be confronted with how much they actually love their brother. I mean, he wants them to feel the weight. He wants them to feel. Uh, listen, I want you to. I want them to feel that they have to make a choice between myself or my brother. I mean, so Joseph gives him an out. I mean, he says, Only the brother with whom the cup is found, only that one will be my servant. The rest of you can go free. He wants to see their response. He wants to see if there's change, if there's change enough to affect how they deal with the favorite. Because the last time they had a favorite brother, they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Are they going to be selfish this time? Have they changed? Is there repentance? Now listen, I believe that Joseph gets his answer. In verse 13, it says, They rent their clothes, and laid it every man his ass and returned to the city. The Bible says they didn't leave Benjamin. They followed him back to Egypt. You see, the Bible says in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus says, Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, what Jesus says is the one way to reveal that there's been change in your life is there should be fruit, there should be proof, there should be evidence. And I would say it from this point on that we have fruit after fruit after evidence after evidence after proof after proof we have fruit that his brothers have changed that there's something different about them because they go back to Joseph's house they don't leave their brother alone they go back and they fall on their face they show great humility there's no pride there's no self defense and Joseph says how could you do something like this you can't get something past me I mean you you honestly think that you could get away with this and then more fruit comes in verse 16 and this is such a powerful verse from Judah I want to read this one verse 16 and Judah said what shall we say unto my Lord what shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants behold we are my Lord's servants both we and he also with whom the cup is found you know what Judah is saying he's saying our God has revealed it we're sinners. Our God has made it obvious that we are not innocent. And, and it's so in- interesting. Listen, uh, Judah could have said, hey, It was Benjamin. He's young. He doesn't know what he's thinking, but he had the cup. It wasn't us. No, Joe, he's not thinking, um, you know, it's got to be Benjamin's fault. No, you know what he says? He says, We're all guilty. Uh, we, we all are sinners. All of us deserve whatever punishment Benjamin gets. Listen, we'll all be your servants. And I believe what's happening here is we see 22 years of a guilty conscience come out. We see 22 years of knowing that their sins one day would come back to bite them. It's 22 years of a heavy heart. It's 22 years of hearing Joseph's voice ringing in their ears. And when that cup is found in Benjamin's sack, they don't get mad at Benjamin They assume it's their fault. They assume this is payback from God for 22 years ago. There's no blame shifting. There's no spirit of selfishness. There is only remorse and genuine repentance. And Joseph amps up the test when he says, no, God forbid that I should keep all of you. No, only your brother. Only your brother. The rest of you, you can go home. I mean, he even gives them an out. And listen, who wouldn't take that? Uh, You're going to choose between being a slave and walking away free? I mean, most of us would be like, freedom. Get me out of here. But here's the thing. They've done that before. See, 22 years ago, they left their brother behind and they walked back home in freedom. But listen, there's no such thing as freedom when you have a guilty conscience. And Joseph was a slave, and Joseph was a prisoner. But I I would submit to you that his brothers were more miserable than he was. Because they had a guilty conscience. They They had a weight on their shoulders. They had a tough time sleeping at night because of what they had done. And I'm telling you, what Judah is saying right now is, give me slavery over that feeling again. Put me, put me to work in your house for the rest of my life. I'm not leaving Benjamin. He says, "I'll, be, I'll bear the blame." I mean, old, old Judah. You know what he would have done? He would be, he would see it. He would say, "See, you, Benjamin, sorry, Benny, I'm going home." But new Benjamin, or I'm sorry, new Judah says, "No, I'll bear the blame in his place." Keep me instead. Joseph was looking for the fruit of repentance, evidence of change. And listen, these are not—they're not words. Actions. And I mean, I think about repentance and what you know. Jesus said, "Bring forth therefore fruit made for repentance." And, and a lot of times, you know, we say, we say we're an apple tree, and we say we're a child of God. And we say, you know, that there's change. And we say, yeah, there's been change in my life. And, and, and that's great to say it. But you know that God's not listening for our words. God's looking at the fruit in our lives. And before we think that repentance is a thing of, of years gone by. No, listen, we are the brothers in this story. And our past is marred by sin. And just like Joseph's brothers, our track record is not good All of us have sinned, and all of us have come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says in Isaiah, even our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we are by nature selfish, we are by nature self-serving, and as much as we don't like to admit it, uh, we are quick to declare our innocence. But listen, there's no way around it. We are by nature broken by our sin. And you know what would happen? We would live and die in the condition that we're in if God didn't love us, but he does. And just like Joseph, the Lord puts us in a position to be tested so our sin will be revealed and be dealt with. And I mean, even right now, listen folks, even right now, God has brought you here this morning and he has you here for a reason. In his sovereignty, you are here. And some of us think, well, you know, it's just what you do on Sunday mornings. You got to go to church. So I'm here because we got to go to church. No, do you understand that God has brought some of us, and many of us may be here this morning to reveal our true condition. And as the word is being preached and you're feeling conviction, you think, well, God's just being mean and I don't, like, I don't like the feeling I get at church because God's just mean. No, that's not God being mean. That's God putting you in a position where your true condition will be revealed. And before you think it's mean, understand that is God's mercy and love that he would let you know that you're in a bad condition so that you can get that thing fixed. Is it mean, if you aren't feeling well, is it mean for you to go to the doctor and the doctor to run tests on you and take blood work and do scans and then come back in the room and say, I'm sorry, I hate to bear the bad news, but you've got cancer. Some of you have had that appointment before. You know what that's like. Well, did you tell the doctor, hey, that was mean. You're a a big old meanie. You're not allowed to talk to me like that. That's not mean of the doctor. You know what that is? That's the most. That's the best thing the doctor could do for you. Because if you were to continue on in your condition with cancer and never know it, you know it wouldn't be long, and you would you would be in really bad shape. The doctor telling you that is his way of putting you in a position to get it fixed. And this morning, God has brought some of you here. And listen, I'm looking at some of you that need to get your hearts right with God. And you know you're not where you ought to be. And you think, well, I hate church because I hate the feeling. No, that's the Holy Spirit revealing his love and his long suffering and his mercy for your life. He wants you to get fixed today. He doesn't want you to leave the same way. That would be like walking out with cancer and never doing anything to fix it i'm telling you if you don't take the steps to fix your sin it will destroy you far worse than cancer ever did a body god's brought you here out of his love and his mercy to help you get things right and joseph's brothers are in the same position god wants to he wants them to get things right and you say well why does god want them to get things right well understand god has pretty big plans for this family he wants to take them from where they are to some someplace that nobody's ever been before. I mean, just think about Judah. Judah's own family one day would produce Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And what if in this story, Judah had said, see you, Benjamin. I happen to believe that God would have said, okay, I'm going to give that privilege of producing Jesus Christ coming from Judah's family. I'll give that to somebody else. And I believe that God would have, have, have done something different if Judah had not repented of his sin. God may have said, you know what, all these blessings I want you to have, I'm speculating. But I'm just saying, if God, all these, all these blessings God wants, wants him to have, I'm going to take them all away. Because you have a heart of hardness. And you won't make things right. And you won't be humble. And listen, God wants to bless your life. God has big plans for you. And you say, God doesn't have big plans for me, for me. Nobody thinks about me that way, except that God says, I have big plans for you. I know the thoughts I think about you and thoughts of this, not of evil, but of peace that you may have a certain expected end. I want something really good for your life. And you don't know what he has waiting for you around the corner. One thing I know that he has for everybody is he wants you to be saved. And we know that the Lord's not slack concerning his promise. But is long-suffering and we know that the lord is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance he wants you in your condition that you're in this morning to have a change of mind about your sin and to say, no, if I go that way, it's like walking out of the doctor's office with, with a cancer, a positive cancer test and doing nothing about it. And listen, your spiritual life is at risk of being destroyed by sin. And this morning, God has given you an opportunity to repent of that sin and come to him and be saved today. Listen, God wants you to be saved and he wants you to be blessed, but you'll never experience either until you repent of your sin. Okay, so what does it mean? Well, just like the brothers, there are three things. A lot of times we say, oh, I'm repentant. Oh, yeah, I'm repentant. I'm sorry. Or sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, God's not looking for words. He's looking for fruit. And he's looking for this fruit in our life. And if you want to repent, here's what you need to do. You need to take responsibility for your actions. You need to stop shifting the blame. You need to stop saying it's somebody else's fault. Because you are making your own choices. Don't point your fingers at somebody else. Don't say, well, this is how I was raised. No, say, I'm the guilty one. I've made the decision to sin before God. Therefore, I am guilty. Take responsibility for your action. That's the fruit that God's looking for. God's also fruit number two. He's asking, looking for you to be humble before Him. You know, pride is an affront to God, it's an abomination to God. These brothers, when they came to Joseph, they didn't stand there and say, We don't know how the cup got there. You have to figure it out for yourself. No, what the Bible says, they came into His presence, they fell on their faces. They bowed before God in humility. They had no pride. They weren't trying to get out of it. They weren't trying to prove anything. They knew they were guilty. So fruit number one, take responsibility. Fruit number two, be humble before God. We're so full of pride. We don't want to admit we're wrong, but we're all sinners. Fruit number three, accept the consequences. Take responsibility, be humble and accept the consequences and say, I did the crime, I'll do the time. I'm the guilty one, I deserve whatever's coming to me. Don't let anyone else suffer for my sake. I'll bear the blame. That's what these brothers had. They took responsibility, they were humble and and they accepted the consequences of their actions. That's repentance. Finally come clean, finally admit what you did. Finally say it out loud. Make it right with the person that you've wronged. Be willing to have it cost, even if it hurts you. We need a spirit like Judah had. I I just want you to read his words. Okay, we're going to read in verse 18. And I want you to think about the difference between somebody who doesn't take responsibility and somebody who's not humble and somebody who's not willing to accept the consequences. Look at verse 18. So after Joseph says, first of all, Joseph says, now listen, you guys can walk away free. No big deal. Just go. It's no big deal. I'll keep Benjamin. What is, what's the first thing Judah, uh, Judah does in verse 18? Look at the first few words. It says, then Judah came near unto him. You know, when you're truly repentant, you don't walk away from God. You draw near to God. And Judah came near to him, just read the words, and said, oh my Lord, I, I wish I could do it the right way. Let, I imagine he's crying the whole time. Let thy servant, I pray thee, speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not thine anger burn against thy servant for thou art even as Pharaoh. He's acknowledging the fact that if, if, if Joseph wanted to, he could just wipe them all out. And when you're repentant before God, you acknowledge the fact that God can do whatever he wants to to you and you deserve it. Verse 19 to verse 20. My Lord asked his servants. He relays the whole encounter the first time. My Lord asked his servants, have ye a father or a brother? And we said unto my Lord, we have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, a little one, that's Benjamin, and his brother Joseph is dead, and he alone is left of his mother, and his father loveth him. And thou saidst unto thy servants, bring him, Benjamin, down unto me, that I may set mine eyes upon him. Don't let your mind wander. Try to pay attention to his words. And we said unto my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. And thou saidst unto thy servants, except your youngest brother come down with you, ye shall see my face no more. And it came to pass, when we came up unto, unto thy servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord, and our father said, go again and buy us a little food. And we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother be with us, then we'll go down. For we may not see the man's face, except our youngest brother be with us. And thy servant, my father, said unto us, Ye know that my wife bare me two sons. And the one went out from me, Joseph. And I said, Surely he's torn in pieces. And I saw him not since. And if ye take this also from me, and mischief befall him, ye shall bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. I will not make it. I will die. Now, therefore, when I come to thy servant, my father, and the lad be not with us, seeing that his life is bound up in the the lad's life, it shall come to pass, when he seeth the lad is not with us, that he will die. And thy servant shall bring down the gray hairs of thy servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. He's going to die, Prime Minister. For thy servant becomes surety for the lad unto thy... My father saying... If I bring him not unto thee, then I shall bear the blame to my father forever. Now, therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. I will take his place. I will be in his stead. I will sacrifice myself so that Benjamin can walk away free. For how shall I go up to my father, and the lad be not with me, lest peradventure I see the evil that shall come on my father? Wow. Judah. I mean, what changes? I mean, who is this guy? I mean, you didn't know you had it in you. This is not the same guy. This prayer of intercession, it rivals, you know, the prayer of intercession of Moses for the children of Israel and Jesus in John chapter 17. I mean, this is unbelievable stuff. And you know what you say? I could never be like that. Well, you can if you're truly repentant. And what we need, folks, today is we need our homes and we need our churches and we need in our country a good dose of repentance. Repentance. Sorrow for our sin instead of rejoicing over it. I mean, I read this week, University of Wisconsin. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's these activists uh, for a sinful, terrible lifestyle. Uh, and they're protesting uh, this movement. The What is a woman uh, with uh, Mr. Walsh? And, and they're protesting it. And there's a young man, a college student reading a Bible in front of these activists and they rip the Bible out of his hands and rip the Bible up and one of them starts eating the pages of the Bible out of spite. That's the country we live in and we need a dose of sorrow and a dose of repentance over our sin. Listen, we are headed down a path of destruction unless we turn from the direction we're going and turn back to God and say, no, this is the direction I'm going. Listen, that's what we need. We need somebody to take responsibility for their actions. And we need somebody to be humble before God. And we need to say, I will accept the consequences for my sin. I'm not shifting the blame anymore. That's what we need in our homes. We need that in our church. We need that in our country. We need that in this world. And you know it's going to start with God's people? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear. And God, we turn to God, we draw nigh to God, and he draws nigh to us. Listen, understand, repentance is an absolute essential if you want God to bless your life. Without repentance, you won't be saved. Jesus Christ said, except you all repent, you shall all likewise perish. Twice in Luke 13. And understand, you've got to come to the end of yourself and say, I know what I am. And listen, unless unless you do that, you can't be saved. And there are people out there that say, well, repentance is teaching works. No, repentance is a change of mind. It's you coming to the end of your ways and saying, my sin will lead me down a path of destruction. And turning to Jesus Christ to take away your sin and pay for it. He already did. See, that's the thing. If you're willing to accept the consequences, the great thing about salvation is Jesus accepted your consequences. He died in your place for your sins so that you can go to heaven. He paid your cost. But until you repent of your sin and admit who you are and take responsibility for what you've done and humbly confess all of that to God, you cannot be saved. Do you need to be saved today? You've got to have a spirit of Repentance. Christian, though, without a spirit of repentance, you'll never be blessed. We've got too many proud Christians. We're trying to keep up appearances. We're trying to prove to everybody how good we are. So we hide our sin rather than confess it. And I believe it's an epidemic in churches. The world's not our standard. We look at the world and say, hey, we're better than them. That's not our standard. Our standard is a holy God. The lack of repentance, though, keeps God from blessing us like he wants to. What could Eastside Baptist Church look like if every member in this room today would truly repent of everything in their life and and take responsibility and be humble and be willing to accept the consequences and say, I want to make things right with God today. Teenager, is there fruit of repentance in your life? You're upset, maybe you're frustrated that your parents don't trust you. Well, if your track record is one that isn't trustworthy, then your parents aren't looking for you to say, well, I'm sorry. Right, mom and dad? I'm sorry, that doesn't do it. And there may come a time where for a while you're going to have to prove it. How? Well, with your fruit. And there needs to be evidence in your life. And the reason your parents don't trust you, it's not because they hate you and it's not because they're mean. They're trying to protect you from a life of destruction that you're headed down. Is there fruit in your life, teenager? If there's not, then start working toward that. Repent of your sin and show the fruit to your parents. And someday when they trust you again, it'll be for the right reasons. Christian, is there something in your life that, Maybe there's an anger issue, or there's a spirit of of criticism, or there's an offense. And listen, we're good at hiding these things. And we're good at excusing these things. But I'm telling you this, God can't bless our lives until we repent of the sin that we're hiding. And you've put God's best for your life on pause because you won't repent. And for all of us, listen, think about what Judah would have missed. Think about what these brothers would have missed. And now consider the fact that God may have something just as big for your life. Now it's not the Messiah, of course. But who knows what you're going to miss out on. Because you won't repent of your sins. It's time to respond. It's time to confess our sins. It's time to make things right with, with our spouse. It's time to make things right with that church member who, you know, you haven't really talked to for years. I mean, I happen to believe, you know, Eastside Baptist Church is a great church, but if we have members at odds that won't humble themselves and take responsibility and accept consequences and get things right, then we have placed a ceiling, a lid at Eastside Baptist Church that we won't be able to overcome until there's some repentance. This time, do it for real. Don't be concerned with what people think and and don't stress over how it appears and don't let your pride keep you from responding or making things right. Take responsibility, be humble, accept the consequences and repent. And no one ever truly repented and looked back and said, boy, I regret that. You know what happens as soon as Joseph knows the repentance is real? Look at chapter 45, verse one. Just the beginning. Then Joseph could not refrain himself. (laughs) Wow. You know, this is a picture of God. God responds to your repentance by drawing near to you. And he, Joseph revealed himself. And you know what happens is when we draw nigh to God and we repent, he draws nigh to us and he shows us more of himself than we've ever seen before. As a matter of fact, Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 57, 15. I want to read it to you. It says, for thus saith the high and holy one, the one that habiteth eternity. Habiteth high and lofty one, the one that inhabiteth eternity. Look what he says. His, whose name is holy. Think. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble. And to revive the heart of the contrite ones. You Know what that's saying? That God wants to draw nigh. And give you revival. But here's the idea. If you don't go away with anything else today, here's the idea no repentance, no revival. No repentance, no revival. We just came through a missions revival and it was awesome. And some of you had revival and I'm thankful for it. But some of you had a meeting. Some of us just went through the motions. We had a meeting. And the reason that we some had revival and some didn't is because the ones that had revival, you know what they did? They repented. They got some things right. They didn't just say, oh yeah, I'm excited about missions. No, they let God do work in their heart and the things in their heart that needed to be dealt with, they got right. And we can call it revival. We can call it missions revival all we want. And we can raise a million dollars a year if we want. But if we don't have repentance, we will not have revival. And we've just gone through the motions. Listen, no one repents anymore, it seems. No one's truly sorry. In our culture, everyone blames everybody else. But you want Eastside Baptist Church to have God's true blessing and a spirit of Revival. God's looking for repentance in this room right now. And if you want to be saved this morning, it's time to deal with your sins, and you can do that right now. We're going to have an invitation. If you'll respond, you can leave saved. I'm telling you, there won't, there's not a better decision you'll ever make. But if you, as a church member or child of God, want to enjoy the blessings of God, I'm talking about internal peace and joy and unity and all the good things that come along. I mean, a good marriage, raising godly children, revival, It could be that you need to repent of something in your life that you're holding on to and you haven't made right. Listen, if sin will keep you out of heaven and sin will keep you from God's blessings, then sin is not worth holding on to. What sin do you have that you're holding on to today that you need to repent of? Have you repented of your sins and received Christ as your Savior? You can do that this morning. Have you re, maybe you need to admit your guilt as a child of God and say, I'm holding on to something that's holding me back. Just want you to remind, remind you this as we close. No repentance. No revival. And if we're a people that refuse to repent, get used to being what we've always been. But if we want to take some steps and we're not satisfied with a lid, Then we must be people of repentance. Because according to God, when he sees a spirit of repentance in his people, he draws near, he lifts us up, he blesses us like we've never been blessed before. And maybe that's what we just need this morning is a good dose of repentance. Let's stand together. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Where's the repentance? And listen, it doesn't have to be some major sin, but a small sin will keep you from God too. Child of God, where's the repentance? Where's the spirit of humility? Where's the taking of responsibility? Where's the accepting of consequences? Where's the fruit? Stop saying that you're repentant. Stop saying you're close to God. Where's the fruit in your life? But maybe you've come this morning and you know you're not saved, and you need to get that right. You know if you died today, you you probably wouldn't spend eternity with God in heaven. And listen, today's the day. It's not about numbers for us. It's not about, you know, a a pride thing for us. Listen, you don't know if you have tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And I want you to know for sure that if you die today, you're on your way to heaven. You can be sure. But it's gonna start with some humility and taking responsibility and accepting consequences and then understanding that Jesus died already. I mean, what a privilege. Listen, repentance is necessary. No repentance, no revival. And if you want things to change in your life this morning, it's time to repent. Father, I thank you for the uh, the message and and for the the truth in God's word. God, it is... It is beyond me that you would speak to us like this. But right now, you're doing what Joseph did. You're revealing to many in this room where they really are so they can get it right. Because you love us. And you want us to get things right. And you want things to change. But really, we're going to either be like Joseph's brothers and we're going to humble ourselves right now. Or we're going to walk out the door in pride and, and add another layer of deceit in our lives because we refuse to repent. God, would you help us to be like Joseph's brothers? Would you help us to humble ourselves and take responsibility and admit our guilt and make things right because we want to take the next step. Lord, work, please, God, I pray that you'd hinder those things that are keeping us from taking steps. Do, do a work. We know you want to. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.